We're in a conversation about how the church can extend God's love into a hurting world. And the reason we're in this conversation is because the world is hurting right now. Uh, last week we looked at the, the sin of racism. We talked about the ways the church can, can be part of God's healing um, in relation to the, the the sin of racism. And today we're going to look at the, the question of police power and particularly police violence. If you're not a Christian, um, you're, you're welcome to listen in, but this is not really aimed at you. This is this is uh, what uh, we believe that God is telling us to do as Christians. Um, so uh, maybe uh, it will intrigue you, or maybe it'll remind you of all the reasons you don't want to be a Christian. So uh, you're welcome to listen in, but again, this is aimed really at the church. And I said we, today today we're going to look at the question of the police power or uh, civil authority. The, the, what, what in the old language of the church is the powers that be. How, how do we as the church relate to the, the question of, um, the power that society has to inflict force on people? And the reason is obvious. There's something going on when we've, we see videos of police officers kneeling on the neck of a man for four minutes while he pleads saying that he can't breathe, and begins to call out for his dead mother. And then for long more minutes after he quits responding. We need to, we need to understand how can we be part of this society? How can we extend God's love into this society? How can we extend God's love into a society where three other police officers stood and watched while the first officer knelt on George Floyd's neck. And we need to ask, is this just a a one-time event? Is this just a a rare, uh, uh, a totally unlikely event? Is this just lightning striking somewhere? Or is it part of a pervasive problem? And of course, we know that it is part of a pervasive problem. We've seen the exact same problem in, in Dallas in 2016, uh, except that in that case, the police knelt on the man's neck for 13 years, thir- 13 minutes. So we know that this is a problem, and the question is, what do we as as Christians do in response to this? How do we relate to a society where these things go on? We know what what our broader society is doing. We know what the, the world around us is doing. Uh, we've seen the protests. We've seen that some of them have, have descended into rioting and destruction. And, and so that raises a separate question. How do we relate to that? How do we relate to, to uh, violence? And how do we relate to anarchy? Is the, is the Capitol Hill autonomous zone? Is it, is Chaz something to be worried about or is it something that's that's really a distraction from the real problem of police violence. Is is it just kind of a summer of love block party experience, or is it the first step on uh, on or, or the next step on our society's path toward greater and greater balkanization and and the kinds of troubles we saw in the former Yugoslav republics in the 1990s? How do we relate to that kind of problem in our society? How do we relate relate to to these problems, police violence and the the problems we've seen in response to it. Well, 
the the New Testament, our, our faith, the New Testament and the Hebrew Scriptures both teach us a great deal about how we relate to the civil authority, how we relate to the police power of society. And um, we begin with the idea from 1 Corinthians. Paul, Paul says that God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. That that there is no part for chaos in God's economy. That God is uh, organized. God is is squared away. God has His act together, and God wants us as His creation to reflect that order uh, to 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 the rest of the world. That that we as image bearers have a responsibility to be ordered, to 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 not be chaotic, not to be ungoverned. And so, uh, God is not an or a God of disorder. But of peace, God is not a God of anarchy, but of shalom, of wholeness, of integrity. So the the first idea is, is that Christians cannot support a, a simple abandonment of of what what uh, holds society together, the the structures of society. There's a very disturbing story at the end of the the book of Judges in the, in the Hebrew scriptures. There's a, a, a man and, and some, some different women are subjected to horrific violence, truly horrific violence. And, uh, in response to that, they go on a, the, the survivors, um, go on a vendetta and it, it, it spirals out of control until it's a, an actual genocide against this entire, uh, ethnic group. Um, and the, the writer of the book of Judges simply records it doesn't comment on it at all, except at the very end, he says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Each person did what they thought to be right. The idea is that, is that we don't know how to, how to uh, de-escalate. We don't know how to uh, ex- extricate ourselves from some of the cycles of violence. So God has ruled them out of order. God has said flatly, I do not want you to be violent. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to thee, you must not oppose those who want to hurt you. If people slap you on the right cheek, you must turn the left cheek to them as well. So we as Christians are, are not permitted to, to carry out vendettas and to, to get even, to, to seek revenge. That this is something that is flatly ruled out for us. Jesus modeled this. All four of the biographies of Jesus record how the night before he was arrested, the night before he would be crucified and put to death, uh, in, in all four biographies, uh, it, is, it is made clear that the disciples, Jesus' followers, have brought weapons. And in each one of those, those stories, in, in each of those stories, Jesus is recorded as, having, as telling his disciples to put them away. In Matthew's uh, gospel, we read this. Uh, Jesus said to him, uh, the one who had taken out the sword, he said, put the sword back into its place. All those who use the sword will die by the sword. So Jesus uh, says for, for us as individuals, as members of society, we cannot respond to violence with more violence, that we don't have the capacity to do that uh, properly. And instead, God has organized society. God has has provided some of his own uh, structure, some of his own organization into human society. And so there are, there are three major structures in human society. And the first one is the family. The, the basic family unit is the basic unit of society. There's also the structure of the church. The idea is that within itself, the church, um, is organized to, 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 uh, make sure it is not ungoverned, to, to, um, 
to keep individual members of the church from, from running roughshod over others. And so we see um, Jesus talks about that. Jesus gives an entire procedure about how the church should should uh, discipline its members. And in some of Paul's letters, uh, some of them, it seems like that's all Paul is talking about, is how the church can discipline its members. So uh, there is a structure to the family, there is a structure to the church, and God has also provided a structure to society. And the structure to society is the civil authority, that it is actually... It is not some afterthought. It is something that God has built into human um, human organizations, so that we do not have to take um, a retribution into our own hands. That uh, um, there was no king in Israel, but God has provided the function of a king. God has provided the civil authority of a king, so that we don't have to be like the the people in the Book of Judges. So, what are the structures of society? These are the powers that be that Paul. Paul talks about, if you ever heard that phrase, the powers that be. Um, Paul, in context, Paul is, this is, this, this occurs in the, the 12th chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans and, uh, the beginning of chapter 13. Paul says, uh, as elsewhere, Paul says, do not get revenge. He says, if possible, to the best of your ability, live at peace with all people. Don't try to get revenge for yourself, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. Don't be defeated by evil, but defeat evil with good. He says, he says, as much as possible, don't, don't get into these, these fights. But, but if a fight comes to you, don't get revenge. Don't seek revenge for yourself because God has provided, uh, mechanisms and maybe God will, will strike that person down with lightning, whatever. But, but typically he says in chapter 13, he says this. He says, every person should place themselves under the authority of the government. There isn't any authority unless it comes from God. And the authorities that are there have been put in place by God. He says that the authorities, the civil authority, the police power, is something that God has provided so that we don't have to take revenge into our own hands. We can say, I've been wronged, and we can bring that to a to a neutral third party. And so so Paul says, says that's the purpose of the civil authority. Peter says something similar in, in his first letter. He says, for the sake of the Lord, submit to every human institution. Do this, whether it means submitting to the emperor or uh, emperor as supreme ruler or to governors as those sent by the emperor. He says they are sent to punish those doing evil and to praise those doing good. So Peter is very similar. He says, he says there are structures in society that God has provided to deal with those problems. And we even see Jesus say something uh, very similar. Jesus um, is is having a conversation, uh, and some some uh, religious experts come to him, and they say, "Should we pay taxes since we are since we are God's special people? Since we are the the people that God has set apart for Himself, should we pay taxes to the Romans? Should we participate in the the structures, the the civil authorities' structures?" And Jesus says, "Give me a coin." And they, they hand him a coin, and he says to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they say, Well, Caesar's. And Jesus says to them, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. He says that, that those structures out there, outside of, of God's people, outside of the church, we would say, um, have a purpose in God's, God's uh, plan of salvation as well, that, that they exist in order to to do the things that Paul said, that they have the authority that comes from God um, and they put in place by God, that they are there to regulate human interactions. So we have we have uh, the idea that that 
God um, does not uh, permit us to uh, have chaos, and God does not permit us to seek uh, revenge on our own, to, to carry out acts of violence, to get even with people. So, so that should be the end of the story. That, that should answer the question. You don't have to worry about the problems in this world because we've got structures of authority. We've got a civil authority. We've got the police power that will take care of it. But that's the problem, isn't it? What do we do when the police power kneels on a man's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds while his life drains away? What do we do when the authority does wrong? What do we do when the powers that be act in unrighteous ways? What do we do about that? Paul said the authorities don't frighten people who are doing the right thing. Really, Paul? He says, rather they frighten people who are doing wrong. Well, maybe they do. But he says, would you rather not be afraid of authority? Then do what's right. Like that settles it. He says, if you do that, you will receive its, uh, its approval. It's God's servant given for your benefit. But if you do what's wrong, be afraid, because it doesn't have weapons to enforce the law for nothing. Paul seems almost oblivious to, to the kind of problems that, that have consumed our nation for the last two weeks. Is Paul just naive? Was, was Peter naive when he said to obey the emperor? Was Jesus when he said that there is a proper sphere of activity that, that God's people should support with their monetary, monetary contributions in the form of taxes? Was Jesus just wrong? How do we, how do we make sense of this? What do we do when the authority does wrong? What do we do when the powers that be act in unrighteous ways. Well, we know that they weren't naive. Uh, for all we know from, from the biblical record, uh, Peter and Jesus, uh, they each um, encountered um, the cruelty and barbarism of Rome uh, when they were crucified. So they, they may have had a squeaky clean record and they didn't realize how bad things were. But of course, we know that that's not true. In that society, they would have seen countless crucifixions. They would have seen countless examples of Roman um, uh, cruelty. So they weren't under any illusions. And we know that Paul wasn't. When Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, Paul was under no illusions about Rome. Paul had already suffered at the hands of the Roman state. He had suffered um, arbitrary imprisonment and arrest, uh, arrest and imprisonment. He'd suffered uh, uh, beatings uh, in extrajudicial uh, proceedings. Paul knew how how uh, savage Rome could be. About two centuries before the time of Christ, one of the Roman writers had uh, described his his uh, philosophy for for interacting with people who weren't Romans, and he said, "Let them hate. Let them hate, so long as they fear." And just a few years after Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, actually before Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, uh, another Roman became emperor, the emperor Caligula, and that was actually his motto. He said, let those people, let the subject people hate us so long as they fear us. So they weren't, they weren't uh, under any illusions about Rome when they wrote the letters, when they said, um, do what the emperor tells you. So what can we do? If they, if they said with eyes open that there were corrupt authorities, if there were unjust actors telling people how to act, 
What should we do? Well, we've been given a whole range of responses, and so I want to go through them. And this is something that Christians differ on on some of them, but they have a great deal of agreement on a number of them. So, so I want to talk about what what we agree on, and then we'll just briefly touch on uh, the the biggest point of difference. So, the first thing that we can do when when our society is is dealing with with injustice when when we when we're watching the video and we see the policeman what should we do well our first response should be prayer now i know christians get get beaten up for this we're told we're told that we we um always retreat to prayer that instead of actually doing anything all we do is pray I wish that were the case. My suspicion is that Christians don't pray nearly enough in response to the troubles in our society. Is that it's so much easier to click like on Facebook or to, to, uh, uh, tune into Tucker and see what he's got to say or maybe Rachel or, or John Oliver. That it's so much easier just to sit there in, in, a, in, in a little bubble and, and, uh, uh, feel good about your opinions. And I wish Christians would spend as much time praying to God as they do participating in this society that has so many problems. Jesus tells us to do this. He says, he says, when he's talking to his disciples, how should you pray? He says, pray like this. Uh, pray, bring your kingdom in so that your will is done on earth as it is done in heaven. Jesus tells us in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done right here. In Anchorage, in Minneapolis, in Atlanta, thy will be done here the way it's done in heaven. We see in the Hebrew scriptures the story of the Exodus. What, what brings about the Exodus? Moses is, is, uh, uh, tending sheep and he sees, he sees the bush that is, that is ablaze but does not burn up. And he turns aside to see that and he encounters God. What does God say? And what does God say? God says, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. He says, I've heard their cry of injustice. I hear people's prayers. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know about their pain and I'm sending you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. The, the beginning of the Exodus event starts with the prayers of God's people praying for relief for the problems in Egypt, the corrupt government that is abusive and authoritarian. Prayer is heard. We read in the New Testament, the uh, the King Herod, King Herod Agrippa, he has the Apostle James killed. And then he decides he's on a roll, so he decides, I'm going to... Um, have have Peter killed too. So he um, he has Peter arrested and put in prison. And that night, while the the church um, is 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 praying, the church is actively engaged in prayer to God on behalf of Peter. And Peter is in prison, and his chains fall off. The doors of the prison are opened before him. And Peter walks free. He walks back to the church. They don't even believe that it could be him. So even if you're not sure if your prayers will be heard, even if you're not sure that God will answer your prayer, we have examples from the New Testament of how God hears our prayers for relief. 
in the letter to, uh, to Timothy, the first letter to Timothy, Paul says this. He says, first of all, then, I ask that requests, prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. He says, pray for kings. If your king is corrupt, then pray for him. Pray for kings and everyone who is in authority so that we can live a quiet and peaceful life in complete godliness and dignity. So the first thing we can do in response to to a um, unjust society and unjust police powers, we can pray and we certainly should. The other thing we can do is we can protest. And again, we see this all through the scriptures, all through the the books of the prophets over and over again. We see we see how God uh, sends prophets to speak to people and say, what you're doing is wrong. Uh, from from Nathan confronting David and saying, you are the man. You had an innocent man killed so you could have his wife. God sends Nathan to protest to David. And that goes down all through all of the, the prophets over and over again. We see how they are sent by God to protest, to speak for God. The prophet Amos says this. He says, take away the noise of your songs. Don't come to church and tell me that, that you're okay. Instead, he says, he says, I won't listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God calls us to protest. And we see this uh, as, we, as we conclude the Hebrew Scriptures and move into the New Testament. We see the same pattern. Herod, uh, Herod, um, Herod Philip, I think, uh, one of the Herod family arrested John, John the Baptist, and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of Herod's brother Philip. That's because John told Herod, it's against the law for you to marry her. Kings don't like to be told by random members of the public what they should and shouldn't do in their private lives. But God sent John the Baptist to protest. And it cost John his life. Maybe our protests are too cheap. We see in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, Paul is similarly imprisoned. And the Roman governor Felix comes with his wife Drusilla, who is Jewish, and they summon Paul. And he listened to him talk about faith in Christ Jesus. But then when Paul started talking about how that would affect his own life, what it would mean for him if he started following Jesus. When he spoke about upright behavior, self-control, and the coming judgment, Felix became fearful and said, Go away for now. When I have time, I'll send for you. That we are called as Christians to speak protest into the face of power structures, whether they can hurt us like they did for Peter, I mean for, for Paul and for John, or not, that we are called to protest. So the second thing we can do is protest. Another thing we can do is civil disobedience. One of my favorite stories about civil obedience, civil disobedience comes from the book of the Exodus. Shortly before the story I mentioned before, uh, when Moses is first born, he's part of a situation where the, the king of Egypt is conducting a genocide. He's killing all of the Hebrew babies, or he's ordering them to be killed. But two midwives respected God, so they didn't obey the Egyptian king's order. Instead, they let the baby boys live. I I love this particular passage. Um, 
if you've if you've ever heard of the the King James Bible, there's a reason the King James Bible exists, and it's it's this story at the beginning of the book of Exodus, because 40 years before the King James Bible was developed, a different Bible was developed. It was called the Geneva Bible. It was it was written in in Geneva, Switzerland, by um, by a bunch of um, uh, refugees, Protestant refugees who were gathered in Geneva, and they put together this English Bible called the Geneva Bible, and it became very popular, and it had a footnote, you know, an explanatory footnote next to this this passage that said that what the midwives did was right, that it's okay to disobey the king. And King James, when he became uh, the king of England, he disliked that footnote so much that he authorized the translation of a whole new Bible, which became the King James Bible. Christians are called to civil disobedience. In the book of Esther, we read the story about how Mordecai comes to his his uh, his kinswoman Esther and says says that that perhaps that, that she has a unique situation where she can actually influence the king, and he's and she says to him, but it's against the law to go to the king, and he says he says. Nevertheless, perhaps it was for this purpose, it was, it was for such a time as this that you were put in this place. And she says, okay, then even though it's against the law, I will go to the king. And if I am to die, then die I will. So she disobeys the law. Probably every, everybody who's spent any time in Sunday school knows the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or maybe, maybe not Sunday school, maybe they just heard the VeggieTales version with Shaq, Rack, and Benny. They know the story of King Nebuchadnezzar who created an idol and said, you must bow down and worship my idol. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. And Straight through to the New Testament, we see in the book of Acts, Peter and John are arrested for preaching the, the good news about Jesus in the temple courts. And um, they're told, stop doing that. And they, they tell him, it's up to you. You're the religious expert. You're in charge of the temple. It's up to you to determine, is it right to obey God rather than uh, to, to obey you rather than God? But either way, we will continue to tell people the good news about Jesus. And a chapter later, they're arrested for doing the same thing. And they say, we already had this conversation. We told you that we cannot obey you and disobey God. So Christians are are called to acts of civil disobedience. So prayer, protest, and civil disobedience. These are things that Christians have have, uh, largely agreed on as, as ways we can respond to a corrupt government, a corrupt police power, powers that are doing what is unjust. Beyond that, there is active resistance, um, sometimes armed resistance. And and we see this throughout the Hebrew scriptures. From from the book of Judges, um, one one leader after another is raised up to help the, the people of God throw off their uh, oppressors. And we know during the uh, the intertestamental period, between the, the the time of the Old Testament and the time of Christ, there was a major rebellion uh, called the Maccabean Revolt, where uh, the the people of God actually threw off their foreign overlords. So we do see this in the the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, I don't see it 
personally in the New Testament. I don't see any authority that's given to Christians to do that. Some people point at uh, Galatians 5, verse 1, where Paul says this. He says, Christ has set us free for freedom. Therefore, stand firm and don't submit to the bondage of slavery again. So, maybe so. Um, on the other hand, uh, Jesus seems to have in mind the destruction of Jerusalem uh, when he says this as he rides into the city. It's one of only two times that Jesus weeps in the New Testament. As Jesus came into the city and observed it, he wept over it. He said, the time will come when your enemies will build fortifications around you, encircle you, and attack you from all sides. Jesus seems to have in view a later rebellion that the Romans would crush uh, with great loss of life and the destruction of the temple. So can Christians engage in active resistance? Um, Christians debate. The, uh, the, the 18th century Christian leader, John Wesley, who would later go on to uh, develop uh, the movement that became the, the Methodist Church, John Wesley opposed the American Revolution because Christians were, were rebelling against their uh, authorized, their, their legal um, sovereign. Um, on the other hand, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was engaged in, uh, or at least he was certainly implicated in plots against um, Hitler during the, the uh, World War II time frame. Um, and he died in a concentration camp when the plots were exposed. And Wesley's church, the Methodist church, has subsequently declared uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer to be a, a modern-day martyr. So uh, this is, a, this is a, a tough place to say, well, you can or you can't. It's something where I think everybody has to search their own conscience. Bonhoeffer said he did not plead innocence. He said that he was not innocent, but he was doing what he had to do, that he knew that he was in, incurring guilt, but that he had no alternative. And so he said, I'm relying on the grace of God. So Christians can always uh, pray. They can always protest. We can always engage in civil disobedience. And Christians differ over whether Christians can actually be part of an active resistance. So that's what that's what our faith teaches us about our relationship with the powers that be, with the civil authority. But there's one more thing that I want to close with, and it's this. We live in a republic. In the New Testament and in the Hebrew Scriptures, we do not live in a republic. The, the people in those times did not live in a republic. They lived in monarchies. Even even um, King James, when he had that Bible translated, he did not live in a republic. We do. And because of that, we are the government. We are the powers that be. We are the police department. We can't point at a bad cop or ten bad cops or a thousand bad cops and say it's them. Because it's us. Because we are the powers that be, because we're part of a republic. And so we need to realize that if someone is raising their voice to cry out to God, if, if there are Israelites who are crying out on behalf of Pharaoh, are crying out because of Pharaoh's injustice, they're crying out about us. And so we need to take very seriously what we can do as Christians in response to 
the, the, the police power in our society and the way it's being exercised. We need to ask ourselves very serious questions. Is this something that we can do, not as Christians, but as part of the society, as people in a republic? Because God will hold us accountable. Now, you've heard the policy proposals, I'm sure. There was an executive order that was issued the other day. Um, and I'm sure that there are some very good ideas in all of these proposals, things like body cameras and ending qualified immunity and so forth. And uh, I'm, I'm a pastor. It's not my job to comment on those proposals. But I do want to say that that as Christians, we need to ask ourselves, are we being proactive? Are we thinking about this problem before it boils over? Or are we going to wait until the next crisis and then we'll go on social media and click like a lot or or you know, post post things. Are, are we going to tune into Fox or to uh, CNN and cheer on our team? Are we going to be proactive or are we going to be reactive? Because we are the king. We are the powers that be. So we need to ask ourselves questions like this. We need to say, when a cop rolls onto a scene, is he trained? Is he trained so much that it's almost impossible for him to make a mistake. Is he being evaluated properly? Does he have the support he needs? Is, is there, is there a social worker or, or an EMT? Are the other people that he needs to support him going to be on scene too? We need to ask ourselves, uh, through our legislators, we need to ask ourselves, is it worth sending a cop? You know, George Floyd died because he tried to pass a $20 counterfeit bill. Is that a capital offense? Because every time we roll a cop, it might be. So we need to ask ourselves, is it worth sending a cop? And then we, we have a great big question that's so, so big we can't even talk about it today. It's, are they going to receive justice? Are they going to receive justice when they're, when they're taken to, to court? When they're, when they're in trial, are they going to receive justice if they're imprisoned? We have all kinds of questions to ask about our criminal justice system. And these are questions we have to ask because in our society, we are the king. God gave us the powers that be because God has ruled out anarchy. God does not have any place in his world for anarchy. But he also rules out injustice. And it's on us to do what we can, whether it's prayer and protest and civil disobedience, or whether it's engaging with our representatives as part of a republic. But it's on us to do what we can to make God's structures function properly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we think of, we think of Solomon, the wisest king whoever ruled Israel. We also think of his son, Rehoboam. He ignored the advice that he received from, from people who didn't think like him. And he listened to people. He listened to his own echo chamber. And it led to chaos and civil war within his kingdom. Lord, help us to be unlike Rehoboam. Help us to listen to people 
who don't think like us. Help us to open our ears so we can hear the counsel of, of people who have a different experience of the police, who have a different experience of the courts, people who have a different experience of race. Lord, help us to be open to, to learn and grow and, and we pray that you'd use those conversations to guide us as we seek to be, to be just kings, to be, to be part of a representative form of government where we are part of the civil authority. Help us to be effective in that work. And Lord, when our society is drifting, when it's crying out because it hurts so much, Lord, help us to, to know which of the tools you've given us. Prayer, protest, civil, civil disobedience how we can affect our society for the better. All these things, Lord, we ask in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.